0: So, this week um, I'm wrapping up our series on the King's playlist, and uh, I thought it would be important to end with a uh, word of thanksgiving. Kind of seems appropriate, wouldn't it, on this Sunday? And so, um, being the man of God that I am, I Googled Thanksgiving Psalms. and got a long list of them and began reading all of them again, and really just kind of fell in love with Psalm 100 all over again. And as I was reading and, and studying about Psalm 100, it's really interesting because Psalm 100 is the psalm that the doxology is based on. I, I never knew that. Um, we were in a church in Indiana, and my favorite time during the service was when the ushers would bring the offering up, the church automatically, it wasn't in the bulletin, everybody just knew. So it was always fun to watch people that were new to the congregation. Everybody just knew that as soon as the, the uh, ushers got to a certain point, the whole congregation would stand up and start singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all bless. And we did it every Sunday. And it was, and and I didn't understand the connection there, but the tune to Psalm to that is called the Old Psalm 100. That's actually what the tune is called because it was based on this psalm. And as I read through this psalm and I tried to picture in my mind how in the world we're supposed to grasp this psalm, uh, I started thinking about the idea that this psalm really, in some respects, is talking about fanaticism. It's talking about people that are completely sold out to something. The first line of this psalm, you all know it, is, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Or in the NIV it says, Shout to the Lord all the earth. And what came to mind is this picture. (laughs) you know every one of the towns that has an older football team has some kind of fanatics and uh they have an outfit that they wear this guy is considered one of the super fans of the Steelers you'll notice that he has the infamous dirty towel um as a part of his outfit and uh And he is absolutely sold out to his team. The interesting thing about superfans is, living in Chicago, I learned a lot about superfans because I was in Cubs territory. And uh, being in Chicago was very interesting because I honestly never met a White Sox fan when I was in Chicago. Everybody was a Cubs fan. And everybody was a Cubs fan at a time that was no fun to be a Cubs fan, because of the curse. And it seemed like they would never get anywhere. They'd have a great team, and they'd even have great players. But they never got anywhere. But that didn't matter to the super fans. Because you could sit down with them and say, well, what do you think? Well, and they could rattle off the complete history of the, of the team. They probably could tell you where the peanuts sat in, in each row of P- Wrigley Field. They they knew it, and they were completely into it. And I believe that Psalm 100 is a psalm of someone that's a super fan of God. And although he might not be wearing the colors of his favorite team, you know, when I was a kid, my mother did something, We lived in Vikings territory. It was the era of Fran Tarkington. It was, and he was a big deal, and and everybody wore purple and yellow. It was the big deal. But my mother found a deal on an orange puffy coat, and so she bought it for me, and then she wanted to make sure that I had a hat that matched it, so she bought me a Browns hat, in North Dakota, where everybody wore purple and yellow. I couldn't believe it. She goes, well, it goes with the outfit. I'm like, Mom, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going to go through in school because I'm wearing a browns. Oh, my goodness. But today, we want to do the doxology. We want to do that hymn of praise as we take a look at the King's Prayer List and as we specifically take a look at a grateful song found in Psalm 100. If you have a Bible, or if you want to open your app to it, I want to begin by just reading the whole psalm, and then we'll break it down and talk about some of what it's saying. But Psalm 100 is the end of the third book of Psalms, or the third section of Psalms, and it goes like this. Serve, uh, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness and come into his worship with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. He has made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all generations. So today we're going to look at this psalm, this this psalm of the fanatic, and we're going to ask this question. What does it take for us to have hearts that are full of gratefulness? How do we reset ourselves in such a way that when we think about our God, we immediately want to shout for joy? We immediately want to have that strong response that we want to put on our cheese head of Jesus, you know? that we want to make sure that we're wearing those things. When we were in South Florida, it was very interesting because the Marlins were our team. But you know what was the best-attended games? The Yankees games. And all of a sudden, all these people that had moved from other parts of the country to South Florida showed their true colors. And their true colors were, were pinstripes. And New York Yankee hats. I've never seen so many New York Yankee hats in my life as I saw in South Florida. But let's take a look at this. The first thing that he tells us to do is to shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, I know that in some versions it says make a joyful noise. In other versions it says to shout. Now, for some of us, this isn't really in our personality. We tend to be quieter people but I've watched some of these quieter people when all of a sudden they're watching a ball game or something they really enjoy, and all of a sudden there's this, yeah, that comes out of them. All of a sudden, even though they would never do it anywhere else, they're having a conversation with their television. You know what I'm talking about? That's the kind of exuberance that it's talking here. I love that it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I've had the opportunity to be in all different areas of this congregation. And some of you are incredible singers. And some of you make incredible noises to the Lord. But I'm thankful for those of you who don't maybe sing as well, but still love to sing and make your noise to the Lord. God isn't asking us to perform. God's asking us to speak to him out of our exuberance. And a part of what will take place is if we have a heart full of gratefulness and a heart that's connected right is that we will at times just want to shout of the greatness of our God. The next adjective, the next verb is worship the Lord with gladness. Okay? Now, a part of Thanksgiving for our family is that Nancy makes what I would say is the world's best pumpkin pie. And most people who've had it would probably agree that it's really good pumpkin pie. And it's really easy for me to speak well of it. Do you know why? Because I don't really like pumpkin pie, but I really like Nancy's pumpkin pie. And I've had a lot of pumpkin pie in my life. There is a gladness that I give when I talk to people and bragged about this thing that my wife is. There is a gladness in our hearts and in our experiences when we worship the Lord, if we think well of him. If we have a great knowledge of him, if we're in a good spot with God, it's easy to worship the Lord. If you're not in such a good spot with the Lord, if you're frustrated, if you're struggling with the Lord, it's kind of hard to stand and sing, sing for joy, Right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. in fact, probably the song we we connect with more is the one we sang this morning, which is the heart of worship. when the music fades and all is turned away, you know and you know and and we have those moments, but we're supposed to worship the Lord with gladness. We should be excited about it. we should be able to. To speak well of it. And there are times that because Satan clouds our memory and our circumstances give us a sense of being rattled or or out of control and we forget the gladness that can be a part of our relationship with God. So the first word is shout. The second word is worship. The next one, it says, come, come before him with joyful songs. Later on it will say, it will use the word enter, and it will say, enter his, his, his gates with thanksgiving and praise. There is this sense that one of the things that we need to do, the one of the things that somehow we need to remind ourselves is, is that we need to have a list of reasons why we really like God. When I do premarital counseling, one of the things that I do, this is my first assignment to them, is I want you to come back next week and give me five reasons why you love the other person. And I know we're in trouble if one of them says this, what if I can't come up with five? <laughs> I know we're, we'll have a little bit to talk about because there's some glue missing there. What if I can only come up with two? And I love doing it. You know why? And I love making the guys do it first. And they usually open up their wallet, you know, and they pull this little tiny piece of paper out. And their list is on it. And they look over at her. And they usually start crying. I love that moment. Come before him with joyful songs you know the benefit to doing what Jim and Alice did today is they get to pick music they really like they get to pick some songs that they really want to do and I, I was deeply touched by the revival song I could almost hear the little bit of Irish in you there you know and then singing that but there are certain songs that are joyful songs and there are certain days that we want to sing them. What if we went through all of Christmas and didn't sing Joy to the World? Wouldn't that be sad? We love that song. We don't want to sing oh, Come, O Come, Emmanuel every Sunday. But we do want to sing Joy to the World more than once. But there's an invitation here that goes along with this. There are certain people... That if you're a certain you are a super fan, you you can ask them and they, they know when the first game of the year is. In fact, they can tell you the dates of the first game of the year, maybe for the last twenty years. Because it's a part of who they are and, and there are details that they know and there, there are are incidents that have taken place and there are things and they are the songs or the things that they speak of. They're a part of the list. They're the love list that they have. God is calling us to shout, to worship. God is calling us to come. That is probably my greatest frustration with COVID. And I understand that some of you aren't in the room today. And I understand the vigilance that goes along with this. But I love when we all come together. And I curse this disease that is fighting against community of coming. Because you know what? A super fan doesn't have the same experience if he's in the room alone and there's no one to high five. It's not the same. We want to come with joyful song. The next one is, Know that the Lord is God you know, the only reason that we can do the one from before, everything is anchored to this verse. Because if you don't know, you can't do that. So we had a couple people over, and I, I put the, the, the super fan up because they're Pittsburgh Steeler fans. And, and I asked them the question, what is special about a Pittsburgh Steeler fan? And they started talking about something that they said, there's just this thing. And that's what's true of us who are believers. There's just this thing. We have no problem with the fact that God is God anymore, do we? We've gone from the world of little g's, right? To the fact that the Lord is God. God. And we know that, and we don't doubt it, that he's the great I Am. We, we have gotten to the point where we don't question that he gave us his word and that he speaks of himself from his word. You see, our worship, our fanaticism, our praise is anchored in strong reality. It's not We're not worshiping a unicorn here. Okay. This isn't some kind of mythical creature. We know that the Lord is God. Now, there might be people in the room that aren't there yet. They're struggling. They're, they, they, they haven't figured that out yet. But those of us who are worshipers, we know that the Lord is God. In fact, we know more than that. We know this. We know that it's He who made us, and that we are His. He's our personal creator. We know that. It, it, it anchors us. It, it's important knowledge. Because if we don't know where we fit in, that's a really hard thing, isn't it? When I was a youth pastor in Florida, we would have 50 to 60 kids come to most youth group meetings. And I would stand at the door and I would greet kids as they were coming in because it was a Latin culture and everybody needed a personal greeting. If I stood up front and just kind of did my thing, they, they would be highly offended because I had not said hello to them personally. But sometimes as I was standing in the back and the room would maybe have 30 or 40 kids in it, a kid would come in and the look on their face would be a look of absolute sadness. And I'd say, is everything Okay. And this is what they would say. Nobody is here yet. And I would look in the room and I would see all these people and i go, there are a lot of people here. But do you know what they were saying at that moment? Nobody that I know, nobody that I'm connected to is here. And so instead of being excited about being in this room, I feel alone right now. There is something very special about realizing that we are His. And that we're His people. And that when we enter, we are not alone. We're not a nobody, we're a somebody and there is something very special about knowing that the lie of satan is this he wants us to believe that we are disconnected and unimportant but god says no 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 i created you uniquely you are spiritually and wo- you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you are mine If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are His, and there's no there's no expiration date on that. We don't have to worry. You know, I, I got this. Did you get the email this week from the state saying your license may need to be renewed? And I'm like, it does. You know, I immediately go, you know, and look, and it's like, and it said, it said, you are someone you know. I'm good till 2025, okay? But just for a second there, I didn't know if I was in, that I was included. And I was concerned like, great, am I driving on an expired license? Am I illegal? Ah. But it's important to know that you are His. It goes on and talks more about that. It says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I know I've said this before, but my dad loves asking this question. So who are your people? That's his question. And what he means is, what nationality are you? I still remember him asking Nancy that. Who are your people? She looked at him like, what are you talking about? You know, well, what nationality are you? American? No, 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 no. Where are your people from? But we are His people. Think about this. We're included. When I was in college, I was a part of this group of people. I I just talked to two of them last week. They were in my wedding. They've been a part of my life. But I remember when I became a part of this thing we called the group group. And I remember how my life changed a little bit at Moody Bible Institute when I had a couple of really close friends and there were people that knew who I was. The sheep of his pasture. Not only are we his people, but we're the ones that he cares for, that he takes care of. I know that we don't live in the world of shepherds, but, but the Israelites did, the Jewish people did, and there was nothing more precious to them that spoke of caregiving than saying that that God was his shepherd. I've done reading about sheep and I know two things about them. They really need a shepherd because without them they're not very smart. I fit well into that category. But he is our shepherd. And so why can we shout? Why can we worship? Why do we come together? Because of what we know. And we know that He is God. We know that He has made us. And we know that we are His people. And we know that He cares for us. And that affects everything. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So then we have to ask the question, is there a difference between thanksgiving and praise? And that they just want to make this phrase longer? And there is a difference. Thanksgiving is, is thanking people or, or realizing what people do. That's what thankfulness is. And when it comes to God, we're thankful for all the things that he does. But when we come into his courts with praise, we're praising him just for who he is. One is about his acts, the other about his attributes. And so we're called. There's this imperative is given twice. We're called, we're given an invitation to worship. Think about that. There's an invitation to worship. You can come and worship. It says, give thanks to him. And so we have this litany of things. In fact, it says that the best prayers in the Bible, if you've ever thought about this, are always filled with thanksgiving, right? Philippians says what? Make your request to the Lord. And it says with gratefulness, right? It says it right in there. And sometimes we just hear the make your request to the Lord, but we don't realize that. And yet all of us like that. We like to be appreciated, don't we? We, we like to be thanked. I'm a grateful husband. It's very easy to speak well of Nancy. But it doesn't matter how many times she cooks. Every meal needs a thanks for that meal. Not, I thanked you for the meal last month, and that should work, shouldn't it? You know, I, I, I said once, somebody said... Uh, Will you pray for the meal? And it's like, no, I always pray for my meals on the first day of the month. (laughs) That's not how it works, does it? Gratefulness doesn't work that way. So we're supposed to give thanks to him, and then it says we're supposed to praise his name. It's interesting that one of the commandments is about the opposite of praising the name of God, isn't it? We're told not to take his name in vain, to turn his name in vain. Into nothing. But instead, we're supposed to praise his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. Okay? You've heard people say, God is good, he's good all the time. I'm afraid that sometimes these things become cliches instead of remain realities. Do you know what I'm saying? But the Lord is good, isn't he? And immediately, We can thank Him for all kinds of ways that He's been good to us, all kinds of things that we've experienced, all kinds of ways that He takes care of us, all kinds of experiences. That's part of the reason why relationships and community are so important in the church, is that once in a while we're struggling, and if we listen in on the conversation, and if we're giving thanks and praise to God, we'll get caught up in somebody else's gratefulness. We need each other. Why? First of all, because he's good. Second of all, because his love endures forever. How many of you have an end to your ability to love sometimes? I do. You know? Occasionally, it's good to go out to the workshop. Because in our humanity, we become exhausted and loving becomes hard. I have... Uh, One of my children isn't naturally given to relationships, and he's worked in retail and in hotels and stuff like that, and I know that when he comes home at the end of the day that he has seen enough people, and he's more than willing to not see anybody for a while. So I know that if I want to have a great conversation with him, I don't immediately go up to his room and start asking him questions and try to show concern for him. He's not there, but God is not like that. His love endures forever. The word for love here is hasid, which speaks of the loyal love of God. You know, one of the problems that we have is that sometimes we're afraid that God is like us, and so we think that we can wear him out, that we can bug him and we can bother him, but his love, his hasid endures Forever. Isn't that a good thing? It goes on and says this. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Grandpa and grandma, I know there are a couple of you in this room. You need to tell your grandchildren the stories of God's faithfulness to you. Moms and dads, you need to tell your children of God's faithfulness. Aunts and uncles, you need to tell stories. I can still remember my most favorite place in all of the world is my grandfather's tree farm. And the safest place I've ever been is in the upstairs bedroom of my cousins on the little rollaway that was my bed. But one day I was talking to my aunt and uncle about the little house they lived in and how much I loved it. And, and this is what they said to me is they said, Well, did you ever hear the story of how we got this little house? I said, No. He says, Well, this little house was a part of a project. And because we didn't make a lot of money, we got to move into the project. And we lived in this little house. And all of a sudden, the, the era of the project ended up. And they decided to sell off all the houses in the project. And so we had to go to an auction to buy the house that we rented. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed because we loved our little house. And God worked a miracle that when it came to that house, nobody else bid on it but us. You see, his faithfulness continues from generation to generation. And we need to hear the stories of that. How has God been faithful? Kids, you need to ask your parents that. You know, moms and dads don't always like to talk about the budget, okay? They don't like to talk about money. It's not a fun topic. It isn't their favorite. You know, the best date night in the month isn't do the budget night. It just isn't. It, the best date night isn't pay the bills night. It's, just, it's not like, woohoo, here we go, let's pay the bills. It's not that way. But you need to hear the stories of how God has been faithful from generation to generation. So there you have it. The reason that we can shout and we can worship and we can come and we can give thanks and we can praise is because of what we know. It's not based on fantasies. It's not just little ideas. It's because of what we know. It's an irony to me that in some of the other religions, the highest point you can get to is something called nirvana, when you stop knowing anything. That's the goal. The goal is to get to the perfect place of nothingness. That is not our goal in Christianity. Our goal in Christianity is that God has given us a mind And that mind is to be filled with Him. And the thing that we're looking forward to more than anything is what it says in Scripture. It says, Now I know in part, but then I shall know in full. A complete knowledge. And so when we think about this, my question that I have to ask you today is do you know your God? You know, think about that. That's actually our first core value, isn't it? And everything else hinges on that, doesn't it? And so my question for you today is how well do you know your God? Or do you know somebody else's God? That's that's scary to me. There may be some of you in this room that are tied to someone that knows God, but your knowledge of God is based on them because you don't have your own relationship with God. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is supposed to be incredibly personal. He calls each one of us to make a decision about him. And you have to make that decision. But that's the most incredible thing about this story, is that God wanted us to know him. Think about that. So he went to incredible lengths so that we would have an opportunity to know him. Because there's a thing that stands in the way that clouds us. It's our personal rebellion and our desire to do our own thing. And the Word of God calls it sinfulness. And sinfulness stands as a a barrier between you and a relationship with God. But God decided to destroy that barrier. And Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to forgive your sins so that you could have a personal relationship with God and so that you could know Him yourself, and if you have not made that decision, I encourage you to be thinking about making that decision, to begin your own relationship with God. So then, instead of it being just something silly that takes place in the middle of a service, the doxology to God will be meaningful and personally connected to. Listen to the words of it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Dear God, I pray that we can grow in our fanaticism, that our shouts would include not just teams that we love, but the God who loves us. I pray that our knowledge of you would continue to grow and that it would be the very thing that ignites and motivates our worship. God, I pray for all the things that are keeping us from coming together. And I pray, God, I pray for an end to COVID just because I want everybody here. I pray that that you would use covid so that more people would be here and that we wouldn't live in a world filled with fear but we would live in a world filled with confidence that you are the rock that we stand on that you are the one that we know and I pray for people that are in the process of trying to figure you out and I pray that that you would help them overcome the confusion And you would give them clear pictures of yourself. And they would come to that point where they could make a personal decision about you. God, you are so worthy of our praise. We love you. And we thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So as we close, I'm going to do this as our benediction. First of all, may you or we know God. And second of all, may that knowledge give us hearts that are incredibly grateful. And lastly, may that heart be expressed in fanatical worship as we grow as God's incredible super fans. God bless you. Have a great week.